This is Paul Souls, the original voice actor of Spider-Man. And you're listening to the Spider-Man Crawl Space Podcast 500th episode, Wallopin' Web Snappers. My spidey sense is tingling. It is. The fugitive who ran past me the other day. The one I didn't stop when I had the chance. If I only had tackled him when I had the chance. But I didn't, so he escaped, and now Uncle Ben is dead. Yes, Uncle Ben is dead, and in a sense, it's really I who killed him. Because I didn't realize in time that with great power, there must also always be great responsibility. But I know it now. And so long as I live, Spider-Man will never shirk his duty again. Robbers, killers, beware. Spider-Man is here. Yep, you heard it right from Spider-Man himself, Paul Souls. This is the 500th episode of the Spider-Man Crawl Space Podcast. And I'm your host, Brad Douglas. And thank you for listening all these years to 500 episodes. It's crazy. Before we get on to our awesome, I should say amazing, interview with Paul Souls, uh, I want to give some thank yous to people that support this podcast and also uh, support our website through Patreon. So thank you to Brian, Craig, Christopher, Andrew, John, Stephen, Michael, Frederico, Stuart, Ricky, Thomas, Nick, Laura, Michael R., Daryl, and Spider-Gwen. If you enjoy this podcast, and you must if we've done 500 episodes, uh, and you like our website, go to Patreon, and uh, you can support and help us pay the bills and the bandwidth cost and the website hosting and ensure more episodes come out. You can do that by logging on to the SpiderManCrawlspace.com. Look on the right-hand side for a Patreon button. And also, the button is at the very bottom of every news article, and I would really appreciate it. And thank you to the people that have donated and the ones that are going to donate in the future. All right, I'm marking this off the bucket list. An official interview with Spider-Man, the original Spider-Man, the Paul Souls. Let's get to it. Hey, Crawl Spacers, thank you for uh, joining in on this episode. It's a special one. It's our 500th episode, and I thought we'd celebrate by interviewing the original voice actor of Spider-Man, Paul. Paul Souls is on the line. Paul, thank you for talking to us. Thank you for having me, and I'm I, my congratulations on making it to 500. That's exactly <laughs> what my back feels like. <laughs> you're you're performing nightly at Yuck Yucks also. <laughs> I like oh, <laughs> Try the that. Other things, but not yuck yucks. That's, that's dangerous. Yeah, that's no a, doubt. It's a very fancy profession. <laughs> yeah, they throw tomatoes at you if you're a bad comedian. You don't want that. Well, I've been doing a, a, a series just ready to release the uh, second season, mm-hmm. which is essentially an online um, show that's entirely improvised. Ah. So those chops are like what you'd almost have to do. At a second city, maybe not Yuckucks, which is stand up, but that whole idea of uh, winging it, doing it as no doubt you think it, um, it's that's great challenge. It's nice to have a a company of people who are really good at it, Mm -hmm. 
and it's uh, very exciting to do. So I, I ha- bet you had no idea 50 years later you would be in your living room talking to the world about a cartoon that you're voice acting. I mean, talk about, about this. Is the longevity of this show is amazing. 51. Yeah. Uh, you know, at my age, you feel that extra, especially <laughs> this time of the year when the air is, at least where I live, uh, raw with moisture and cold and everything else. So uh, a year is uh, not inconsequential. No, mm-hmm. I never thought, and I don't think uh, the lore is that Stan Lee would have uh, uh, was was all that sure it was going to have these legs. And of course, since it was um, the bringing of the business for Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer Christmas special that brought mm-hmm. the teams to. Toronto in time for our enterprise and scores that followed that uh, made this all happen. So no doubt, not unmindful of uh, what kind of a uh, train of events was unfolded by um, the boys who did um, Rudolph. Uh, what that uh, what that legacy has been. Now, before we heard your voice, we heard that amazing theme song by uh, Paul Francis Webster and composed by Bob Harris. When you first heard that song, what what went through your mind? Did you think it'd be a standard for superhero songs from like the John Williams Superman theme? I mean, that is a, a classic superhero song. Well, it's, uh, it's nice of you to put it all in the same category as John Williams, who's <laughs> the, uh, you know, the, the man. About yeah. But it is amazing, uh, the identity, the instant identity that the theme conjures up. You don't have to say anything, you don't have to dress anything, you don't have to shave, you don't have to put on a costume. <laughs> you hear that music, and it's all there. It's, a, it's an astonishing fact of the power of music and of mm-hmm. this form of it. Right. Were you were you in the recording studio when they did that, or or, no, or did you hear it on the first time on Saturday morning? More or less. Um, the same with the pictures. We we were never shown very much, either in the way of animation or the characters. Often, uh, for certain of the major ones, of course, uh, you wanted to make sure that you captured what the intention of the artists were originally when they did the original. Uh, drawings, and there was consultation with the producers as what you're doing matching what their vision of it all was. Mm-hmm. But um, in terms of recording, we're, uh, you know, it's uh, what's the analogy I'm trying to make? The less you know, the better it is. <laughs> uh, well, well, I don't know. Just keep that same analogy. You didn't know much because it was great. It was epic. It was a great well, song. It was pretty simple, and you just respond to what's going on. And I will apologize, but not too much for saying that I had just become a father. Hmm. So the idea of having uh, almost an an immediate audience or someone um, young, as for example, for Rudolph, Hermie was, while he's an elf and a full grown elf, like uh, Attorney General Sessions, Uh, he he is youthful and I I have a real bond nature provides and makes you ready to be a father grandfather and so forth so uh, having him uh, there as part of the uh, tapestry of of daily life was helpful in making the mind think 
what might appeal to the young. And we, I've been, like you said, your son wouldn't be possible. We wouldn't be able to do this broadcast without your son. So I imagine it must be cool to be uh, a kid's father. Then you're also Spider-Man. I mean, that must be the coolest thing as a dad say, yeah, you know, I'm Spider-Man kid. Well, <laughs> if I had been, if we had arranged a contract and got more money from it, then I'd say all, all sure. But that was not to be, because those were the terms they came here. A good pool of actors. That work cheap. Yeah. Up in Toronto, right? Where you're from? Is that right? Yeah. Are you still in Canada or are you in the United States now? No, no, I'm in Toronto. You're on Toronto. Yeah. St- still your home. Awesome. I spent a few months here and there in the around the world. Uh, but Toronto and uh, Ontario, Canada have always been my home. And it's, if asked, you know, is there any other place on earth? And I've been to a few places, thankfully. Mm-hmm. Uh, at somebody else's expense. <laughs> uh, the experience, um, yeah. the richness of of uh, other nationalities and cultures, but I can't think of another place I'd rather live. Although I've enjoyed it. I spent a year in Germany with the Canadian Air Force yeah. as a civilian, although I was in the auxiliary. Uh, I've lived in uh, L.A. and New York, uh, toured in New York State, for a couple of years yeah so before we move off of the theme song it it, we were talking about the longevity of the song it's been honored in every spider-man movie in the toby Maguire, we had the the street violinist play play it and sing it and andrew garfield spider-man it was his ringtone on his cell phone Mm. and in spider-man homecoming it was in a big orchestra was playing it for the opening title scenes I mean, what what is that like? I mean, have you seen all the Spider-Man movies? And 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 does that just big, bring a big smile to your face when you see that homage or honoring? I I it, the only reply I can give you is I've experienced that kind of identity and excite excitement when a theme or a big orchestra plays something that um, that's that uh, what's the right word. Uh, uh, I don't, I don't want to say inspiring. I mean, it mm-hmm. stimulates the whole history uh, and existence of the genre of comic books, of comic characters, of, of heroes and superheroes and, uh, and all that that implies, including the fact that uh, it took me about 40 years or 45 years to kind of figure out what Stan Lee had in mind in creating this character, because uh, the idea of a, ca- a superhero that was a kind of a scrawny teenager, uh, kind of a bit of a uh, science guy, not a, a studly uh, football player, had yeah. trouble yeah. getting along or finding girls, uh, you know, all these things. Uh, finally, it finally occurred to me that what Stan had in mind to play, because I was having trouble. I don't see myself as any superhero. I'm not, not a big athletic person. Uh, but uh, what I did understand is he created a guy people could identify with who aren't all that gifted physically or mentally or whatever, but are dedicated and inspired by the fate of his uncle, caring for his aunt, uh, the sense of justice. Um, and he would do what he can 
uh, with the assistance of uh, the spider bike. As an actor, that must be nice to have an average Joe. I mean, a, a guy that you can relate to, right? Well, as I say, it took me a very long time to kind of get uh, relax in the idea that I didn't have to be sounding like um, a superhero with muscle upon muscle upon muscle, the ability to fly, the ability to charm, the ability to do all sorts of supernatural things or extraordinary things. As an, as an actor, is that harder to just be normal? Well, I mean, that's a good question. And the way you phrased it, 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 every actor arrives at his solution or her solution to um, how to render the character they have in front of them. What, what you want to do is be as honest to the intention of the creator, the writer, uh, as possible. And in this case, understanding that this was an ordinary kid trying to do extraordinary things for a very good reason mm-hmm. that made it easy to do. Right. And I mentioned some of the other actors that have been Spider-Man. You were the first, but have you met any other Spider-Man actors or voice actors over the years? Not really. Uh, the yeah. company that uh, was already here in Toronto, that um, Stan and Marvel and uh, the Rudolph people found, was a well-established acting community in the English language with cultural ties to both Britain and the U.S. by geography, by culture, uh, daily institutions, and so forth. Gotcha. So let's talk a bit about your origin story. We've heard Spider-Man's over and over. Uh, did you pick up any Superman or Batman comic books back in the day when you were a kid? I think I was a pretty typical kid. Uh, you know, my youth was during the Second World War. Uh, and I was pretty much aware of what was going on right from the beginning of it to the end and, and the aftermath. So those were formidable forces and formative forces as well. So my heroes, if you like, besides the usual kids comic book heroes, and the only ones I recalled there being at that time was Superman, which was created partly by a Torontonian, um, Joe. um, uh, Oh, Joe Schuster. Schuster. Schuster, yeah. Yeah, um, and then I remember Aquaman. I can remember uh, who was it? Shazam, Captain America. Mm-hmm. Um, and I used, I used to it. get my trash can lid and pretend I was Captain America all the time really? out in the front yard. I imagine you probably did too. <laughs> yeah. So besides that regular uh, thrall of comic books, we also had the real life inspiration of men that we'd known, teachers and relatives, who had gone off to fight the Second World War. So my real heroes were pilots. Yeah. Pilots were the Battle of Britain, 1939-40-41. The bomber pilots, uh, the major Allied airplane uh, that wasn't American, was the Avril Lancaster. That was made in Canada, partly. Mm-hmm. I mean, many of them were made in Canada as well as England. So, and the CBC, our Canadian Broadcasting Corporation, which was a government operate, operation, but our, our first national uh, cultural institution that spanned the country, kept us uh, unified, had a program called L for Lanky, 
And it was mm-hmm. a story of one Lancaster bomber crew. So these were the guys who were yeah. my, my superheroes, if you like, because they were doing it daily and often not surviving. Yeah. I was yeah. I was made clear to us. I'll tell you a quick, quick anecdote. I mean no nastiness, but I can see him today. Mm-hmm. So a math teacher we had in early high school named Mr. Tuck, who stood well over four feet five, I guess, and um, a nasty, unhappy man who had been a veteran of the First World War. Uh, and he would he was in charge of the health class at the school. So he would show up once a week at his health class, and here we were, what, 25, 30 teenage pubescent kids with pimples and starting to, you know, develop. And he'd start his lecture, whatever the subject was, and wind up getting himself into a knot about how we were sitting here in Toronto living off the fat of the land where the real men were overseas fighting and dying. Mm. Boy, did that ever make us feel good. Yeah, <laughs> uh, no doubt. That, that was an early introduction to the, to both the uh, sex classes and health and um, and heroism. I mean, yeah. it was pretty intimidating. No doubt. Well, in, in doing the research, and you you mentioned it a little bit earlier, I'm amazed how much that Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer uh, special feeds into the Spider-Man show. I mean, this this was the beginning of forming the Spider-Man show. You had a lot of similar actors. The the company you said, right? That's right. That's so, how, how did the Rudolph special come about for you? Well, for me, it came first, and for mm-hmm. this whole business of cartoon voicing in Toronto, it uh, it came first, and it was because these two producers from NBC had heard that there was this excellent company of English-speaking radio actors in Toronto and that we could that we worked very cheap, except for Burl Ives. He was the only one that made any money. <laughs> Still does to this day, his estate. And uh, uh, the, the producers uh, knew that they had a good thing going. And then when the word got out, there was this pool here, uh, so economically favorable in these conditions and capable, the whole business kind of just kept on going and expanding. So we were, we're very lucky. And it was nice to ha- have had the approval of uh, as uh, great an authority as Orson Welles, who knew, you know, arguably as great a, a voice actor as ever lived, yeah. and actor and producer uh, and cultural force at that time. He knew how broad and good the acting companies were in Toronto, and that helped uh, the industry continue. And you're, if anybody didn't know, you're the voice of Hermie, the, the little elf that wanted to be a dentist. Talk um, a bit about Hermie. How did you go about voicing Hermie? Well, all my life I've had trouble with dentists. I hate them. I mean, I don't hate them. One of my best friends, as a matter of fact, until his passing, was my dentist. But I, I've had pain with Dennis since I was 13. Eventually, today I'm not going to show you because I don't want to embarrass <laughs> anybody else. But I have a full set of uh, replacement teeth, and I'm much happier because I don't have to worry about cavities and uh, extractions. And when, when, you're in a, when you're in a dentist chair, do you say, hey, you know, I'm Hermie, the little elf that wants to be the dentist? Do you ever tell that to your doc? No. No. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you don't fool around with a guy who's 
mucking about in your mouth. You don't want to say them one way or another. Uh, yeah, no doubt. Happens, you have to say, please be careful, doctor, because I'm an absolute chicken here, and don't 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 make me cry. But I I had many days of pain. In fact, I, I sound silly. When I was a, a late teenager, early twenties, your wisdom teeth start giving you trouble. Same here. Same here. Everybody, I think. So I'd had two out. I didn't much like it. And the only anesthetic they had at the time was ether, which can make you very nauseous. <laughs> uh, so I wasn't much fond of it. The time I was, so I, uh, I don't know, a month or so after the first pair were taken out, it was time for the second. And I went into the dentist and I, I could still see the office. And I said, doctor, please, no. Whatever you do, don't not too much of ether, please. I hate it. It makes me ill. He says, "No, no, we're not using ether. Put the mask on my face, and it's ether." So, in a stupid fit of temper, I, I <sighs> inhaled extra heavy, which was the dumbest thing to do because it made me nauseous, uh, and and it liquefied, burned a hole in my tongue. Ooh! But but that was because I was my temper got in the way. But uh, I, I hated that. When, Man, when, that does not sound like a good dental experience for a guy that wanted to be the dentist, you know? No, no. <laughs> but I, what I did understand, and if I'm, I hope I'm not uh, stretching or forcing the issue, but uh, there was a lot in common, the heroes and the ethos of the morality of both those shows. These were not extraordinary superhero people. They had ordinary dilemmas that uh, motivated them. They wanted justice. They wanted a sense of belonging. Hermie, the, the dentist, and Rudolph bonded because they were outcasts. Yeah. Nobody wanted them. And who hasn't gone through life either not being wanted on the baseball team or the football team or the basketball team or whatever because you weren't quite good enough Pick me, pick me, but you never are. All of that feeling of not getting getting along or going along or being included. We've all been excluded one way or another. That was common, I think, to both these characters. And I think part of the reason why the shows and their existence appeal to people, because we've all been there. Right, exactly. We, we can relate to these humanized characters that are written. Yeah. Um, the voice of Hermie, uh, if you would have told me when I was a kid, Hermie and Peter Parker, Spider-Man were the same actor. I wouldn't have believed you. Really? Talk, talk about the voice of Hermie. How did you get, get that high pitched voice for him? Well, again, that was, uh, uh, partly the effect of Jonathan, uh, my son, elves are small people, right? Yeah. Shorter than most. And, and, it, and it's a fact of anatomy. That the smaller your larynx is, the higher in pitch, higher in pitch. So automatically, your voice goes up, and uh, elements of <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> pardon me, elements of youth, uh, innocence, are all part of the character. So right. I all I had to do was take a look at that uh, first. Um, uh, drawing that we were shown with the blonde curly hair and the wide eyes and his willingness to want to do something beyond making toys, mm -hmm. uh, be useful, uh, was 
very appealing. And that's how it came about. <laughs> I still hear it. I still hear it. You still got them. Well, it, it, it's a matter of you're getting paid to be a kid or to be small or to be youthful or innocent. That's all. That's, that's wonderfully restorative. You you took the the octave down a bit for Peter Parker. Well, there was I I even as a kid I thought there was two voice actors for Spider Man, but it was you because you threw the voice of Spider Man. You made it a lot deeper, and Peter Parker was a little bit a little bit more Hermy. He was a little bit upper register, I guess. Well, he was youth. He, you know, he was a teenager essentially, mm-hmm. and uh, not all of our anatomy is developed when you're a teenager. So, <laughs> voice is naturally going to be. You know, when we we mark our passage from adolescence, when our voice drops, right? Yes, yeah. Measures, Um, and uh, the same with these characters. Uh, The higher pitch, the more youthful. Um, Parker was really an adolescent uh, trying to become a good photographer, and he was running a foul of J. Jonah Jameson, who was constantly berating him and yelling at him. And nobody <laughs> likes to get bullied like that. So You could have done the voice actor of J. Jonah, but they, the other actor that did it was so epic. I always hear that voice in my head. Paul Kligman. He yes. And looked like a real, not a bully, but a, a kind of a boss that uh, pushes people around. Commands authority. Well, he that voice also was uh, Rudolph's dad, Donner. So yeah. he he played your boss in Spider Man, and he played your dad in Rudolph. <laughs> well, that's because this acting company that uh, my first cousin Bernard Cowan created that uh, that did the voices for uh, Rudolph and Spider Man. He these were all people he'd worked with, actors in Toronto from who'd originally come from all parts of the country. Paul from Paul Kligman from Winnipeg and uh, others from all over that um, made this acting company. So we all bonded pretty well. And in the history of the eight or 10 years after the mid sixties, when all this was happening, some of us would be heroes. Some of us would be uh, supporting players. I don't know how many times I've been a bank manager or a professor or a cop or something in you know support of somebody else who's the lead what's uh, what's your weirdest gig you ever voiced the weirdest character that was like a supporting character or something no they weren't that big so okay <laughs> of, of any of them being particularly um uh, memorable yeah uh, just the idea that you you could show up for work and you never knew who, the, who you were going to be and that was uh stimulating it was also the fun of of, if you like being a comic book character where it's all for joy, it doesn't, there's nothing serious about it. It's all fun. It's all playing. So you, you look in the studio and here are grown men <laughs> writhing on the floor, making great arm gestures, leering at each other, sort of acting out uh, these extraordinary um, actions of essentially young people or heroes that are far from normal. So it was an attempt to literally live a fantasy. 
Back to that changing of the voice. Uh, George Reeves did it as Clark Kent, Superman. Uh, even Christian Bale did it when he was Bruce Wayne and Batman. Ooh. You you also did a different version of Spider-Man. And, I mean, Peter Parker and Spider-Man. Talk about doing the, the more the confident Spider-Man versus the more timid teenager. Well, that was, if you like, early on, not easily done. Because I, I don't picture myself as a superhero. So I can only kind of assume in my mind what kind of serious tone a, a superhero would put. And as I said earlier, I think this is what Stan Lee had in mind. Uh, and I eventually just doing it naturally, attempting to sound like a hero without being one. Mm-hmm. So you try to make yourself sound as though you're authoritative, capable, physically able, etc. But mostly what's driving you is a sense of justice, wanting to get the right thing done, protecting people, trying to do some good. Right. Do you, do you still have the Spider-Man voice in you? That you, you could, I know you pulled out Hermie I a little bit. I think, unfortunately, my 87-year-old chords, vocal chords, uh, a little too raspy for me to sound, uh, you know, like a superhero. I heard it. I heard it. <laughs> That's still there. It's easier to do the uh, the younger voices, you know, like Hermie or uh, I don't know, other professions. Mm-hmm. But um, if uh, Peter Parker, I could, you know, all I have to think of is is uh, the bully, if you like, Mister uh, Jameson. Gosh, Mister Jameson, you shouldn't be yelling at me. I'm just. A young photographer trying to get along. That's awesome. That's awesome. Going back to the history of it, you you wrapped up the uh, the Rudolph show, and then Marvel, I guess, came came to you with the superheroes, uh, the the short superhero shows, and you voiced also another one of my favorite characters, Bruce Banner, and the, as the Hulk, right? Well, unfortunately, I don't know why we're never able to get to. IMDb or whatever. And oh, is that, that not correct? You didn't do it, Bruce correct. Banner? No, I didn't do Bruce Banner. That was a wonderful and original, one of the most original radio characters I've ever heard. His name is Max Ferguson. Okay. okay. He used to have the most inventive early morning show uh, where he would take the morning's newspapers, make up uh, sketches of real and fictitious people and do a kind of political commentary uh, in these little dramas every morning. It was brilliant. I don't know anybody to, even around today who can do that. And you know the size of the staffs of shows like yeah. uh, Jimmy Kimmel or... Um, uh, who's Jimmy the Fallon, the Jimmys, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I can, Jonathan has given me here a picture. I don't know if it can be seen. I can see it, yeah. The um, yeah, the, I, I'm holding it, trying to get it close to the camera. Yeah, I can see uh, it. The guy in the white uh, sweater—that's Max. Okay. He used to do a character called Rawhide, uh, and um, besides, Paul Kligman looking menacing. Okay. Very cool. Very cool. That's neat. Was that the recording studio where he recorded Spider-Man? Yes. Okay, very cool. Yeah, Spider-Man was done pretty much at a place called Eastern Sound, Mm -hmm. which was the go-to studio in Toronto for music, voice, commercials, all sorts of things, small groups. 
uh, people like um, help me here. Gordon Lightfoot would record there. Oh. Lots of other names. Neat. Yeah, here's the control room of it. Oh, very cool. Pretty ordinary. Studio. So talk about talk about that recording. So there's there's obviously a director probably where that guy was sitting at the soundboard. Right. Are all the actors in the studio? Are you are you seeing each other in the face as you're you're recording? Yeah, yeah. Back, those were back in the days when we did everything in sequence and everybody was in the studio. Um, here's a, a group shot, sort of. Does that make any sense to you? Yeah, that looks great. Tell me who we're seeing in those pictures. Well, I can. I'm looking at the back. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm not a superhero, you know. I just play one on TV. <laughs> uh, but, uh, there's Max, myself, I think, and Paul. And the larger face in the foreground is Bernard Cowan. He's the guy who got us all together and organized it and did the casting. And which one are you? What, real quick on that one. Which one are you? Point to the one you are. Well, if I if it is me, it'd be this one. Okay. <laughs> That's cool. That's, That's very cool. So, um, I, that best must be cool to have all those voice actors in one room playing off of each other. That just must be more of a party than a job, you know? It was, and, and it's more like a kindergarten. Came <laughs> <laughs> into the studio and saw us writhing around, acting out, etc., like a, a six-year-old, a seven-year-old, a three-year-old. You'd wonder what the heck is going on. Right. There we were. So, how did you land the role? I mean, had you heard of Spider-Man before this gig that you got? Well, I had not, and I have to admit that was more good luck than good management. Uh, Buddy Cowan had this group of people he knew, and really, the biggest, the biggest um, trait you had to have in order to qualify was the ability to work fast. There you go. Content is king, right? Well, you, studio time is king. <laughs> but one of the people in this series, arguably as great an announcing voice as ever existed, did three out of the five commercials during the week of everything in Canada. Henry Raymer uh, was so good uh, and quick that when he was booked for a studio gig, the union re- requires that you get there 10 minutes before your job starts. Mm-hmm. Henry to the second arrived 10 minutes late. And the reason he got away with it was because he never ran overtime, never took the uh you know, made made problems for the producers, so he was saving them money in essence, and that's how he could get away with that little quirk. Did you ever have any unique visitors come to the studio like did Stan Lee and Steve Ditko ever stop by and see what you guys were doing? No, but a few years after all of this, in the uh, early 80s, July of 1980, I did a program called Beyond Reason, in which famous a couple of famous people would appear in front of three, I don't know what you'd call them, paranormal specialists, a, car, a, a tarot reader. Uh, uh, sorry? a palm reader, uh-huh. all, all these disciplines were, you know, uh, uh, the attempt to divine your identity, abilities, etc., from these paranormal sorts of influences. And Stan Lee was booked on one of these shows. <laughs> so it was Victor Borga, so were some uh, Julie Newmar, I think. Uh, yeah, Catwoman. Yeah. Yeah. That's funny. That same show. 
Jonathan is reminding me that video of that show is available what online? I think on, it's on YouTube, right? Yeah, well, yeah. CBC, Canadian Broadcasting Corporation. Nice. They're loosening up some of their archives, releasing, uh, even though it was not known how much of these things were kept, but some still exist. So you were on the same show Stan was on? Is that what you were saying? Yeah, I okay. was the host. He was the was guest. that your f- first time you met him? Yes. That that ought to be interesting. Hi, I'm the voice of Spider-Man. Nice to meet you. <laughs> yeah, he was not uh, you know, regularly in the studio. Uh, very few of the producers usually were. We never saw Burr Lives for Rudolph. Hmm. He was always in New York. We were in Toronto. He was counting his money, it sounds like. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the family still is. Yep. So that first day of recording, do you have some fun memories about the first few days of recording for the Spider-Man show? Interesting question, my boy. I, I, the first days, no. Uh, yep. You know, we'd uh, when we'd come in, saw what the job was. It was then a matter of showing up for the recordings and having to do them, as I said earlier, uh, fairly quickly. Time is money. Right. A rental of a studio was expensive. So um, your ability to get get it done quickly and the producer, the director, had to work. Uh, you know, we didn't have um, motion picture or whatever played in front of us that we match. We had to record to the discipline of X number of frames of film per second, 24 mm-hmm. frames per second. So... This line, in, if you like, a certain line had to be done in 1.8 seconds or something, or 48, 45 frames. That would drive you nuts, I would imagine. <laughs> well, it was, a, it was a kind of a skill you kind of got used to. Like, you know, you know the range of your arms and they're out and so forth. But that was the discipline you were hired for and you got used to, and it was easy. But then the writing was good enough that you... You didn't have to, you know, do any special surgery to get those lines in in the correct amount of time. Now, you said you had the company in front of you. Uh, did you read the script from front to back and then do several episodes at a time, or did you all read specific lines together, several episodes? I don't know. We would go in. Most of us had day jobs, you know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, So this was, like, fun. And maybe a couple of times a month, three times a month, scripts would arrive, and you'd work over two or three days and uh, get four or five done a day. Uh, it wasn't all that much dialogue. You check those cartoons out. There isn't all that much. Well, he's he swung he swung through the city a lot, so yeah. that canceled some of the dialogue out. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. But you, you probably had the most dialogue of anybody. Is there any lines? I mean, obviously, the Wallop and Web Snappers is my favorite. Which is also the name of your website. Um, yeah, I'm glad to hear you say that. That is the reason for the name, but it's also it's unique because it was only in the cartoon series. It was never in the comic book. Mm-hmm. That's true. Any other any other lines that you, are some of your favorites that uh, that stick out? Just the gosh, Mister Jameson, you shouldn't yell at me. I'm <laughs> very sensitive and suck my thumb a lot and it don't I don't like to be yelled at. <laughs> uh, so we we mentioned one actor, another one uh that you worked with closely, Peg Dixon. She uh was everything from your love interest, Betty Brandt, 
Uh, also your aunt may, which is kind of odd, but <laughs> she was also in Rudolph. She, she was your mom. She was Mrs. Donner and Mrs. Santa Claus. And she even voiced Mary Jane, who was a, a go-go dancer and the niece of captain Stacy in that cartoon. So what was it like working with Peg? I can't remember. No, I, <laughs> you've got this down incredibly. Um, remember we're talking 51 years ago, right? Uh, and while there are very few shows I've done in my life that I have forgotten, um, I've done enough that uh, it's not easy to kind of restage hours and hours and hours of it. But this is a company of people who could do this work and do it fast. And thus you were, like all good acting companies, very dependent on the strengths, speed, abilities of others. And Peg had one of those magnificent varieties of capabilities uh, that distinguished her. May I also say, meaning no, uh, taking nothing away from Peg, mm-hmm. you know who voiced Rudolph. You, one more time, you don't know who voiced Rudolph? Do you know who voiced Rudolph? I don't know who voiced Rudolph. Well, this is the story, if you like. Okay. The person who did Rudolph was a middle-aged lady who stood four feet three years. Seriously. Very wow. lady named Billy May Richards. Okay. Billy May was active in a troop show during the Second World War for the Navy. Hmm. Uh, and she did the best little boy voice at the CBC. Oh, that's she, cool. She was Rudolph. Oh. Magnificent. Did she ever come over to the Spider-Man show and do any voice acting? Not in Well, she may have. Yeah. But mostly it was Rudolph. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Um. Mary, they they changed Mary Jane a little bit for the '60s cartoon. I think she was only in one episode. She was a go-go dancer, and she was Captain Stacy's daughter. I mean, Betty Brant was mainly your love interest as Jonah's secretary, right? And I'm really embarrassed that I'm not, you know, that familiar by by any means as you are. <laughs> I'm delighted, but uh, I there's an awful lot of stuff to retain. And yeah. If anybody who've ever accused me of uh, being the most facile line learner in history. Right. So tell me about that first Saturday morning. The Spider-Man show is on ABC. Did you gather around the, the television and watch it? Or did you have friends over? What, how, how did you celebrate? Or did you? was it just another Saturday? I'm afraid. I hope it isn't disappointing to people. <laughs> it was just another Saturday. Yeah. It wasn't the only thing in my life. Yeah. The rest of us. Uh, there was lots of drama going on at CBC, uh, formal, everything from Shakespeare classics to contemporary. Remember the CBC radio in a country with six and a half time zones, 6,000 miles across, um, where people are, you know, the next person is maybe 100 miles away. Well, not quite, but. Uh, mm-hmm. we, Three or four or five or eight million people in a country that big, second largest landmass in the country in the world. Um, what are they going to say? Uh, the, a, lot of, a lot of people 
Canada. Yeah. BBC, Canadian Broadcasting Corporation, was our national theater, news organization, entertainment source, political source, uh, opinion. Uh, it, it was it was a national, I'm going to say treasure organization, um, but it was our, among other things, our national theater. Mm-hmm. So doing all this drama was um, uh, what, in essence, kept the country together. You, the United States, had the film industry, pioneered uh, radio networks, a good drama, but the CBC was a one-stop shop for almost everything cultural in our country. It was okay. the only outfit that could afford it. Uh, and 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 it still serves that function right. somewhat today. And just to put a button on this, uh-huh. my uh, good fortune was that my day job was one of those CBC-mandated public affairs programs that covered everything. And it's why I got to travel so much around the world. It was a daily, it was a daily daytime show that worked on the premise that women who were maybe home raising a family during the day and watching television and taking care of kids, domestic affairs, that they have a brain too. And it wasn't just quiz shows and soap operas. Mm-hmm. So the CBC ran this current affairs program. And I was so you were, you were an actor, a voice actor, and a newsman, right? Awesome, very nice. A co-host on that show for uh, sixteen years. What's your favorite? What of uh, those three professions? What did you like the most? Well, oh, I couldn't couldn't pick one. I wouldn't. <laughs> wouldn't. There, it's like picking your kids. Which one do you like the best? Right. I, I like yeah. them all together. No, so very grateful to have been able to operate on all those levels. Now, we were talking a bit about how the production company, they, they were tight with the money and the budget. Uh, they were so tight, they didn't even draw the lines on Spider-Man's chest. <laughs> they were uh, tight. So uh, they u- reused that stock footage uh, of Spider-Man swinging through the city. Yeah. And I, I read that they, I had never heard of Rocket Robin Hood, but they used some footage from that cartoon too. Yeah. Sure. I, I mean, is, is there a reason? I mean, they. The, I guess they... The the first production company, if I understood right, went out of business. Is that right? And then they took it over for season two and three. The history, all these changes of directors and 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 often artists, are better known by people like you and my son, who can yeah. tell whose artistry does this, yeah. and who whose didn't. Uh, we were involved with the the voice work, and that was uh, you know in that. Yeah, yeah no doubt. Um, Talk about your favorite episodes, some that stand out for time. I know it's been 51 years, but uh, do you have, like, I just watched the origin story today, this morning, and that was pretty faithful to the comic book. It was. With the, ex- with the exception of the two guys in the car yeah. wanting the, the Peter to get in to be the third guy for the girl. <laughs> that was yeah. a little bit different, calling him a bookworm, but uh, the very faithful adaption, I thought. Well, the right. Very- and it also states, for all time, if you like, the essential purpose and the reason why Spidey became Spidey and Peter became Spidey to right a terribly observed wrong. You know, he spent his life feeling guilty about having let these 
thugs get away and mm -hmm. wreak havoc in his family and the world. So that was his motivation, if you like. Right. And uh, I think it was classic in, in the way uh, uh, Stan and his writers conceived these origins, the myth origins of these characters. Right. They were substantial, honest, dependable, believable, and universal. And that's mm -hmm. what makes a great story endure. And I really think, you know, the comic book was popular, but it was your show that really fed it to the masses. I mean, people in 1967 hadn't heard of Spider-Man outside of the, the comic book spinner rack. I mean, you are, you're, you and your show is an essential aspect of the love that we've had for this character for 50 plus years. I mean, well, it's good of you to say, but I have to observe that um, more good luck than good management was at work here that these technologies came along at that time. I mean, I'm even today in many areas of the business, um, the classic line I have to use because of technology changing and improving is how many times do I have to buy the white album? <laughs> if you're a Beatles fan, every format. Yeah. <laughs> You've got to keep buying new machines to play yeah. back the same thing. Exactly. Uh, I mean, I've seen in the last couple or three years uh, an, an, an increase in efficiency, size, shape, form of movie cameras to make shows. Mm -hmm. uh, there is no film anymore. I think there's almost no tape anymore. It's your, all your, your cell phone can pick, take better picture than some cameras. Exactly. Days, it's you know? all the size of one of these things. Exactly. Nothing. Speak, speaking of rebuying the same format, when I was a kid, I had a couple VHS tapes of the 60s show, and I rebought the box set uh, here <laughs> with the insert by Stan Lee and everything well, like right, that. Right, right. So, um, I, by the way, this is out of print. I wish Disney would put these back in print, you know, the, the DVD and the Blu-ray. I, I would agree with you. And I, you know, my son and I have, over the last year, been to two or three or four Comic Cons, and uh, it's very exciting uh, when people come up with that box set and ask for an autograph. I did a show about five years ago, four, hard to remember anymore, called Less Than Kind. Mm -hmm. In Winnipeg, we shot it with a wonderful actor, lead actor named Maury Chaikin, chubby, great big fella. Do you remember Dances with Wolves? Yeah, guy? yeah, with Kevin Costner. Yeah, it's a good movie. At the beginning, Kevin, or his character, comes to this army outpost and is outfitted to go out and take over this old abandoned fort, right? Yeah. Well, he gets his orders from a rather chubby colonel, uh, rather disdainful, gives him his order and shoots himself. Do you remember that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's Rory Chagan. Wonderful. Oh, okay. And this was a comedy. We shot it in Winnipeg. Um, I brought this up for a reason. <laughs> <laughs> um, Don't worry. I get off track every now and then, too. Don't worry. No, I'm, I'm sorry, because it was a, uh, an important point to be made. Maybe it'll come to me. Okay. Um, what, one other thing we were – what favorite episodes? I'm not sure you ever said what, – what's some of the ones that stand out in your memory that you enjoyed doing or acting or how they came out? I wish I, wish I could tell you. And it's not a matter of 
sparing somebody else's feelings if you like one more than than the other. It's just uh, I've done several series, including one of stories of history. Professor Kitzel and his magic machine. Uh, there's been so much, mm-hmm. and I've been lucky enough to be involved in so many different plays that to remember one above others yeah. is a little high. The um, the this was, I'm getting a, a prompt here from my dear son. Oh, okay. Yeah. Here comes trouble. He says. Okay, that's one of your faves. I guess. <laughs> sorry if I if I can't remember more specifically. It's okay. The um, another thing it it started. If, if oh, I know why I brought up Les and Kai. Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. The dance with the wolves actor. I know this is very self serving, but it's a it's a fact. But it speaks to your point. Mm-hmm. When we were doing Less Than Kind out in Winnipeg, uh, and we were shooting, it was a, a shot on video, several of the crew members would, so we're talking of distances between New York and Chicago, let's say. That's how, how, how far away uh, Winnipeg is from Toronto. So it's a, it's a big, big, big space. Anyway, these, these some of these crew members would come up with that same box set that you just showed me. Yeah, and ask for an autograph, and yeah, those mm-hmm. that ever make me feel good, <laughs> like a rock star. Say you kind of got a little immortality, but well, what is this? I, I, I correct me if I'm wrong, but you you've re- just recently started going to comic book conventions. I mean, I would yes. think you'd be a rock star at them. Only two years, less than two years. What is that like to see so many people love you and your work? Well, of course, I think it's. Absolutely deserved. No, I, <laughs> it's really, I mean, one doesn't realize the um, the legs, the legacy, the connection. But I have to uh, say, with with absolute conviction, the reason is the rock solid, universal appeal of the stories. Mm-hmm. Youth in Rudolph, two kids who've been rejected. Young people, you'd say, mm-hmm. by others, their peers, they don't fit in. They have no place. They have no sense of being accepted or belonging. And everybody's experienced something like that, and that bonded them. And here is Spidey, who was a victim, if you like, of modern urban circumstance, suffered loss, uh, and a feeling of of inadequacy that he wasn't able to prevent the terrible fate of his his own relatives. I mean, imagine anybody, imagine how difficult that is to live with. Right. And an absolute pure motivation. So these storytellers got it right in creating uh, characters who represent so much that's universal. Right. Now also uh, in 2008, you were in the Incredible Hulk movie. You were the you played Stanley, the uh, the restaurant owner. Pizza place owner, yeah. Yeah. What, how did that role come about? I think that was so cool to see you in there. That came about by a great act of courtesy and kindness from Edward Norton. Oh. We had done a film called The Score a few years earlier up in Montreal. That's where we met. Right? We hit it off pretty well. Frank Oz was the director of that. Marlon Brando was in it. 
And uh, you're, you're uh, dropping some names. <laughs> That's so well, I never I never met Brando and I never met Robert De Niro. But oh. <laughs> all my work with, with Me- meeting with Frank Oz is cool enough. That's Miss Piggy. Absolutely. Yeah. That's, there's a scene in the score up in an electrical kind of uh, room in this uh, museum in Montreal, which is the repository of these very very valuable antiquities. And uh, uh, Norton, who's, you know, at the base of one of the evildoers, uh, discovers me, because I'm a superintendent of this uh, building, he discovers me in this electrical room, and the scene calls for him to grab me by the throat and bash me at wire mesh fence or wall. And Edward is a, I won't call him a method actor, that's... He's better than that. I mean, he's intense. Yeah, intense and and serious about it. So when I uh, I said that, uh, saw that about him, and and knew he was a thorough professional, and he was required to grab me by the throat and push me against this this uh, wire mesh uh, wall. And I said, "Don't." Uh, you know, I trust you completely. Don't don't spare the horses. Push me. You know, I knew he did nothing harm. He's that professional. Well, I think we did it about twenty-two times. Oh, <laughs> wow! It was absolutely exciting. He had a, a forty-five at my face Ooh. while he was doing this, like mm-hmm. inches from millimeters from my face. And every time we did the take, and there was that gun, and you looked at his face, I'm telling you, I could use a dirty line, but I won't. Imagine <laughs> how it made you feel. It was absolutely chilling. I would imagine. He, he's in the zone. He's ready. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, an actor like that who's so dedicated to, to, doing, to doing it right, doing it honest, you, have, you can develop a lot of... I have to develop a lot of trust. Yeah. And, so, so did he say, "I got the role in the Hulk. I want you to be in it"? Or how did that how did that come about? No, it, uh, I don't know how it actually came about. But <clears throat> pardon me, the Hulk was being shot, or part of it, uh, somewhere around southern Ontario, Toronto, and a little uh-huh. bit of Ancaster. Um, so it's in your neck of the woods, essentially. Yeah. 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 Uh, and uh, it, the job came up, and I got a call, and great. Being in Toronto has helped you out so much. I mean, you've gotten some good roles by living in Toronto. Well, well, it's it is the New York or L.A. of uh, our country. If you, mm-hmm. yeah. Gotcha. So you're on the set, and you're. Can you cook pasta? Are you any good? Our pizza? Can you? They gave me <laughs> lessons in learning how to make the dough and. Thinking of fly and all the rest of it. <laughs> you all have forgotten most of it, but it That's was funny. very, very intense. So, so did did uh, Norton was he? Did he watch you as a kid? Maybe as Spider Man, or did that conversation ever not come up? Or? My, not to my knowledge. Okay, I, I I'd say, and I'm saying it because it just is what comes to mind. Is Norton is a one off? He, he's a force of nature. He, uh, he was thrown up by the gods. Uh, to be this unique, dedicated, very professional actor and a, a fascinating man, I can, I can imagine why um, the ladies are uh, interested. He was going with Selma Hayek at the time, and on the set, set of the score, 
uh, he's just finished this roughish uh, scene and lunch was called. And out of the kind of uh, bunch of actors and things it comes this uh, very short person. And Edward says, I'd like you to meet my girlfriend, uh, Salma Hayek. All right. Like a ninny, I thought, are you kidding? I didn't know he was going going with her. And she was about this high, you know. She was, <laughs> absolutely she, she was Hermes size, yeah. Stunning woman. <laughs> no so doubt. She introduces herself. And I said, oh, sure, it's Salma Hayek. Of course you've got Salma Hayek with you. Why wouldn't you have the most gorgeous? Anyway, you still kept talking. That's so cool. Um, I think they should call you back. And at the first Avengers movie, they all ate at Shawarma. I think after this oh. Avengers movie, they should all have some pizza at Stanley's, and you should cook it for the, the Avengers and get the new Spider-Man in there. Are you game for that role? All set. <laughs> You're all set for it. Sure. I'll even practice tossing the. You're tossing the pie, yeah. <laughs> uh, let's see. What else do we have? Um the, did you happen to see the comic book recently that was that was called Spider Verse, where the Spider Man went back into your universe and teamed up with you, did, and they fought Mister Noah Body? Did you happen to see that comic? No, I didn't. I'm sorry, but it it, it was really cool. It was it, I heard your voice when I read it, uh, so I thought that was really cool. I have to share some images of them when they went back to uh, the 1967 universe. Um. You've got me kind of hypnotized here. You you have this T-shirt on with a spider. I do, and um, and I do a little bit of cooking and enjoy good seafood. And um, I'm seeing a lobster there. <laughs> what am I? I'm Spider Man, not Lobster Man. That would be yeah, <laughs> no. it's that skeleton, you know, like King Crab and all the rest of it. <laughs> so that's uh all the questions i have for you so let's open it up to the fans for you um i've got uh, a thread on our website uh, where i ask people to ask you questions yeah. and uh this one is from shy town spidey he's from chicago illinois and he says mr souls you were the one that introduced me to spider-man when i was four years old Thank you. Has any of the other voice actors that portrayed Spider-Man animated series reached out to you, like Dan Gilvezan, Christopher Daniel Barnes, Josh Keaton, etc.? No, I can't say so, and I think that's largely because of geography. Uh, you know, we're uh, we're a twelve-hour train ride and a one and a half-hour plane ride from New York, but it's uh, it's a fairly long distance, and uh, while most of Canadians population, Canada's population lives within 100 miles of the American border. Uh, we don't see each other every day. If you keep going to those comic book conventions, you're bound to run across some of them, yes, I, I imagine. Am. Jonathan you, says Nicholas Hammond, the 1970s TV show Spider-Man and Peter Parker. Nicholas Hammond? Oh, you met Nicholas Hammond. Oh, we met once. In Detroit, correct. Oh, he, he was one of the boys in The Sound of Music. Did you did you know that? I did. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, I've I've tried to I want to get him on this show too. I think that would be fun. But you are the first, sir. So never forget that. <laughs> thank you. Uh, Alistair uh, doesn't put a location, but thank you, Mister Souls. It's an honor to get to talk to you, however indirectly. Now, from the second season onward of the '67 series, Ralph. But how do you? 
Bad sh- there you go. Took over production along with a sharp reduction in anima- animation budget. How did this affect your work as a voice actor? Uh, well, I, I'm sorry to have to say, although I was aware of, of these moves and the influence uh, that Bakshi had, my interest was more in the production of the of the stories than in the crafts of the animation, the book, uh, etc. So it it did not make any particular distinction for uh, for us for we who who did the um, the voice uh, voicing um, the story was the story the character was the character and um, how it was done in other media was really none of our business shouldn't say it that way but <laughs> it wasn't germane to our production of of these episodes gotcha. Uh, Wombat909 from the United Kingdom. He has a question for you. Uh, as others have said, Mr. Souls, it's an honor to speak to you and thank you for your contribution towards Spider-Man's mythology and cultural re- relevance. Thank you. Uh, when voicing Spider-Man, was, a, was there a particular feature of his personality you wanted to emote in your voice or one that you felt was important to be represented? Uh, I can't say that there was beyond the core once i understood them the the core motivations of these characters why do they do what they do you know there's an actor has only one real obligation and that is as close as possible to understand what the author had in mind in writing the character writing the the book and mm-hmm. uh, in, in this case i mean the book is the lines you say, the story on paper. Uh, there is an old expression. I'm sure this gentleman and others will know if it ain't on the page, it ain't on the stage. Uh, and so good writing is the touchstone. If you have good writing, you practically don't have to work at all. It, yeah. it, it will ring uh, those notes in your soul and they elicit the truth. Uh, you can't do it wrong. You can't do it wrong because it's there written right. That's right. the best definition, if you like, of Shakespeare. Exactly. Uh, George from Texas. Say there, Paul. I don't have a question so much as a request. My favorite Spider-Man line you did on the show was, quote, what a day, nothing to do but swing and dig it. Could you please throw that line out during the interview? Here, I can put this in the, our chat window if you want to see it. Uh, there's there's the line. <laughs> what a day. Nothing to do but swing and dig it. What a day. Nothing to do but swing and dig it. Hey. <laughs> this is, I think I'm gonna come. No, dude, that was that was that was dead on. I like it. Uh, yeah, uh, translated for our friends in the UK. <laughs> no, no, that George is from Texas. That the oh, UK <laughs> Wallop and Web Snappers. I've been in Texas. My son and I Spent three months down there once. I did a play called Tally's Folly at the Dallas Theater Center. It was one of the most enjoyable times I ever had. You know that theater? That's it. That theater was the only theater at the Dallas Theater Center uh, uh, created by uh, Frank Lloyd Wright. Wow. Genius. Who was a genius, as you know, as an architect. And this this building set in the side of a hill is it has no right angles in it whatsoever. All angles of odd shapes and sizes. Wonderful theater. 
That's awesome. George is actually a member of our podcast. And if you go down to Texas, he will buy you a beer. <laughs> I'll enjoy the habit. <laughs> he also says, thanks for taking time to talk Spidey with us here at the Crawl Space. So that's Thank really you. nice. Uh, we have Proto Goblin says, Mr. Souls. Before getting to my question, I just wanted to say thank you. Your Spider-Man cartoon was the first one I ever watched back when YTV here in Canada Ooh. was rerunning it in the 90s with the episode Kingpin, probably the first one he ever saw. So I just wanted to ask, what led you to auditioning for the role of Spider-Man? I'm sorry, what was the, the question? What, what, what uh, led you to audition for the role of Spider-Man Peter Parker? Well, again, I have to say... With, with more gratitude than I can muster that I didn't, I didn't have to. Uh, this, this company was commissioned by Bernard Cowan, people he'd worked with. In, the, in this case, I have to admit that I was his first cousin. So uh, I don't think he was giving me charity or being especially uh, uh, courteous, but I'm glad to have been included in this uh, the core company, acting company that did so many of these cartoons. Again, uh, more good luck than good management. Mm -hmm. Happy, happy to have been in the right place at the right time. The other, another user by the name of Wheat Cakes uh, is also from Canada. We're we're getting a lot of your your neighbors in this this question thread, Paul. Uh, yeah. He says, "Truly an honor to be able to take to ask a question to the talented Paul Souls. Thank you for taking the time to share it with us today." As a Canadian growing up in the seventies and the eighties, I was fortunate to get an almost daily television dose of Rock and Robin Hood and the wonderful stories of Professor Kitzel. I'm wondering if you have any interesting stories on your involvement and voice contributions to these programs in particular, Professor Kitzel, as it was more educational in nature. Well, indeed. Um, here, here was a situation in which, um, by, simply by association, I was, uh, I was getting more than giving. Uh, learning, it was a wonderful device for children, for information, geographically, historically, etc., um, and it, it, it paralleled other series, for example, with um, uh, who's the guy who uh, uh, says don't start forest fires? Um, oh, uh, Smokey the Bear. He did Smokey the Bear. Yeah. Um, uh, sorry? Spirit of 76, which was the bicentennial series. Hmm. So these were Projects I got more out of than maybe gave because I was learning. It was, it was you know, you, it, literally getting paid to go to school. That's wonderful. That's awesome. Wheat Cakes says, Wallop and Web Snappers, all the best, Mr. Souls. So that's nice. Wheat Cakes, right back at you. Thank you. <laughs> Aziz, Wallop and Web Snappers is his opening line. <laughs> uh, he He's assuming you did Bruce Banner, so we're going to fix that. But Peter Parker in the 60s. And made an appearance in the any plans on appearing in the Marvel Cinematic Universe Spider-Man sequel, the uh, the the uh, the latest one with Tom Holland. If they call you up, they say they want you in there. Are you going? Absolutely. But I've got to say, I can remember almost like it was yesterday. My God, it was yesterday. No, uh, <laughs> not that many years ago, ten or twelve. I know I was in Stratford at the time. Stratford is the uh, site of the best Shakespearean theater in North America. Uh, 
about two hours from Toronto, midway between Toronto and Detroit. And it was an honor to be able to play there. Uh, I brought this up for a reason. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Oh, about 12 years ago, uh, uh, your question had, I'm 87, remember? Help me out here. Yeah. Oh, yeah. At that time, the first of the feature films uh, of Spider-Man came along. It was the second one. There was talk at the time here in the city. I remember Jonathan Tipping back, great big billboard, outdoor billboard advertising a film. Uh, the next the next one they were going to make, mm-hmm. possibility that I might be invited to do a little cameo. That's Didn't cool. But I'm always ready. I'm in the phone book. I have an agent and I yeah. can still and I think it would have been cool to have you and Stan Lee in the Stanley's pizza shop in the Hulk. I think that like you would have been brothers because you could pass for brothers. I think that would look, that would be neat. No, we're not all that on uh, a like, right. Yeah. I wish I had his energy. <laughs> but, uh, anyway, that would have been cool. Uh, that would be great fun. That would be really neat. Um, all right. We're going to, that's all the message board questions. Let's turn to YouTube. There's a little bit of a delay once I ask the YouTubers to start asking questions. Uh, so go over to our chat window, YouTubers, and we will take live questions uh, for Paul. And then we'll wrap it up pretty much, Paul. Paul, you've been d- telling some great stories, by the way. I'm loving it. I'm glad I can remember them. <laughs> Do you have any, while we're waiting for the YouTubers, do you have any like spider collectibles? I mean, do you still pick up the comics or? Uh... I know what my son does. God love him. Yeah. You've got, for example, in behind you there, I'm pointing at a. Head. Yeah, I've got a ton of Spider Man stuff. It looked like, it looks like the mug. Jonathan got a couple of mugs and we take uh-huh. them off to the Comic Cons. In fact, I'd run out if you'd let me and, and get it. Oh, you can oh. if you want. While we're waiting on the YouTubers, it's fine. Wait a second. Sure. I'd, I'd love to see what Spider-Man's voice has as collectibles for Spider-Man. I think that's kind of cool. And also, YouTubers. All right. Here here comes a couple questions already. We're, we've got uh, 15 people watching us at the moment on our YouTube live stream. So Warrior Herb and Enigma, we're going to get your questions in just a second as uh, Paul comes back. Oh, there we go. Here we go. What Ta-da! do we got? Oh, that's so cool. I like that. Do you drink coffee out of that, or is it? it is it? I do. It's clean now. Would you like some? Feel free. Well, you know, I should have. I should have brought my Spider-Man glass in here, but I got. <laughs> this is not cool. I got a Captain America cup that I'm drinking out of. That, that's all that, right. We're <laughs> for the same team. <laughs> that's true. Uh, while you were gone, we've got two people that ask questions in the YouTube chat. We've got Warrior Herb. Herb on the weekends is a warrior, evidently. <laughs> Paul, yours is the only voice I hear as Peter and Spider-Man whenever I read a Spider-Man comic book. Your oh, voice talent is an honor. Would you ever make it up to Alberta, Canada for a comic book convention? Sure. And I've spent many, many, many enjoyable times in Alberta. In right. fact, at one of, one of the early stampedes where uh, a former uh, college <laughs> colleague of mine uh, owned a parking lot near the Calgary Stampede grounds. I don't know if you know about the Calgary Stampede. I don't. It's one of the big, biggest rodeos in the world. Okay. Uh, and it's huge, truly huge. 
<clears throat> he bought this parking lot, became a very wealthy and prominent realtor in uh, in Calgary, and he has several daughters who sang with a wonderful musical and dancing group called the, the Young Canadians. And um, he would get out there every year with his daughters, a little change purse around his waist, and he, he and the girls would park cars for the Calgary Stampede. I mean, he was a millionaire, but he enjoyed yeah. getting out there and, and working hard. Jerry Knowlton, I've always uh, uh, remembered him and the sense of purpose he gave his girls. It was terrific. That's cool. Ready to go uh, to Calgary at any time. Had many, many, many. Things how far away is uh, Calgary from Toronto? Is it, uh, well, if you're walking, drive? quite a while. Okay. No, Calgary is uh, three and a half hours by air, three hours by air. There you go. Yeah. You need to have that convention pe- get you a plane ticket. Sure. Uh, I was on an airplane. Uh, my son and I have flown across the country in in it, uh, and um, I had some wonderful adventures in or near Calgary, including landing on the Sarsi Indian Reserve, just south of town, wow. near Cochrane, where the leader of the the uh, tribe and owner of the property came running out on a horse and said, you, you can't be here, this is Indian land. Um, but he let me stay, provided soup. Oh, that's cool. All the rest of it. Uh, Rupert Crowchild. So wow. Calgary has always been um, uh, very dear to me. Yeah. Enigma uh, says, are you technically the first man to ever voice Spider-Man? I think you are. I think so. Uh, I don't recall any other media. No, the the, car- the cartoon was the first as far as I know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Hey, what what is it like to be the first? I mean, is there? Uh... <laughs> uh, no, I, I I can only say truly grateful because, uh, as they say, you only get one chance to make a first impression. Exactly, um, and, and true, you made a heck of a first impression. We're still I'll, talking. I'll, about I'll, I'll be absolutely honest with you. I know my my son will corrob- corroborate it that I'm feeling. I spoke partly guilty because. I didn't have to do that much to get it or to enjoy it. But the fact of the matter is, I, 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 I don't understand how I got lucky to be in a position to set this, um, what's the right word, style, in, in such a way that people remember it. I can only say that the reason they do is because it was well-written, well-animated. The stories were rock-solid. Um, the villains were imaginative and unusual, and it's nice to be there first in line to make that impression and have people remember it. And I can only be right. nothing but grateful. And do you have a, a list of uh, what favorite Spider-Man films you have? I mean, do you is there one that uh, stands out better than the other ones? No, I've not no. seen all. Oh, you haven't. It's a matter of trying to afford the price of the admission. They should have you come out to the premiere with Stan. I think that'd be perfect. I wouldn't say no. <laughs> As I say, my, my number's in the phone book, and uh, uh, I'm available. Exactly. Oh, we just had uh, Sam Kirby uh, 
jump on the YouTube. Sam, you think I have a lot of stuff. Sam Kirby has one of the largest Spider-Man collections of all time. And his wife still puts up with him. <laughs> but uh, he's, uh, uh, Sam says, Paul, great to listen to you. You're still the voice I hear when reading Spider-Man. Thanks for your contribution to Spider-Man lore. So, Kids, kids do you see what fun you can have if you learn to read? <laughs> Do you do you have anybody that when you read something that is in your like their voice acting is so strong you can't not hear them? Do you have anybody like that? Because you're for us well, Spider-Man fans, you are it a lot of the time. Well, uh, again, because I was there first or whatever, <clears throat> but it's true. I don't think you know when you read a book, a story, whatever it is. When you read, you actually are unconsciously making the sound of that dialogue in your your mind, even though nothing is being said or any voice tone being done. You automatically do it. So when you read somebody's dialogue, you actually are hearing them talk. So if what I have done matches or gets close to what you kind of, what your imagination or mind creates, then I'm grateful. That's awesome. Well, you, you nailed it for so many Spider-Man fans, myself included. Um, Matt Bird wants to know uh, if you're in touch with any of your co-stars from that the cartoon still. I know well, some have passed away. Yes. Uh, and it's right to acknowledge who are still with us. Uh, um, Billy May is gone, unfortunately. Uh, maybe Peg is, I think, still alive. Um. Uh, uh, oh, I can see her. Was was uh, uh, whose mom? Um, Corinne Corinne Connolly. Uh-huh. Still uh, still with us. Um. Uh, uh, very tall. Did the the original um, foreman of the elves, Carl mm-hmm. Banas, B A N A S, is still with us. Alfie Scott, who played. The Charlie, the the uh, the uh, Charlie, Charlie in the box, and the oh yeah yeah the the Jack in the box yeah Jack yeah Charlie in the box, not Jack in the oh I'm sorry not Jack that's his brother (laughs) Charlie in the box is the island of misfit toys exactly (laughs) anyway Alpha's still around well on in years these are the ones that are still around but and myself. uh, that's from Rudolph. As far as Spidey is concerned, um, gee, not not many of the originals are, are still around. You, uh, yeah. um, we talked about how on that Saturday that uh, Spider-Man premiered on ABC, you didn't uh, gather around the television to watch. However, do you still gather around the television every year to see Rudolph? I mean. You're still on the air 50 years later after that show every year in primetime CBS. I have to tell you, there hasn't been a, many years that I haven't. <clears throat> and I'm still surprised at the connection it makes. You may also want to know, if you don't, that at Christmas time, there is a live action stage show musical. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. All the artifacts from the stop motion puppetry uh, show, mm-hmm. extremely faithful 
to the original. And kids go there by the thousands, you know, three, four, five, six, seven years uh, of age. And it's a real treat. Uh, there are at least two, maybe three companies that travel in the United States and Canada at Christmas time and do this show. So look for one at a theater near you. The the uh, they also did a in New York they did a theater production of Spider Man where people are getting hurt left and right. Did you I see thought, that one by a chance? I didn't see it, no, but I heard. Uh, yeah, read about the, you know, some, some that of, one wasn't as faithful to the source material. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yep. uh, Enigma, I think will be our last question. Uh, what were your influences when voicing the character? Did you have any for Spider Man? I'd like to be able to tell you that um, uh, the names of all the people. When I was growing up in the 40s, 50s, 60s, listening to the great, uh, not only soap operas, but uh, dramatic series that are uh, in prime time, and everybody from Orson Welles down, you know, he had an acting company, Mercury Theater, uh, that I believe Mr. Beck, Glenn Beck, uh, uh, named his company after it, but his company was... um, Oh, what am I trying to say? Um, Your acting company? John, help me here. Um, Orson Orson Welles acting. Mercury Theater. Mm, Okay. Uh, And in it, uh, there were several of the people who he used in movies. um, Citizen Kane, etc. And he was looked on as the great uh, voice there there was a there isn't or wasn't i think he's still alive i don't know an american actor named alexander scurby s-c-o-u-r-b-y mm-hmm. distinguished elegant classical magnificent voice right so these were if you like the inspiration for uh for us as well as both from stage tv and movies of the english uh, stage gilgood uh, Olivier, um, et cetera, et cetera. You, you've named your inspirations, and we're we're saying you're our inspiration. So, do you have any ad- advice for future actors or voice actors of how to have the longevity or how to get the job and and still be loved? I tell you because at the last Comic Con we were at, a young gentleman by the name of David Kay came and joined the um, uh, the presentations there. We had dinner with him on our last night. He's originally a Canadian and doing extremely well in Los Angeles and New York. Uh, I don't know that I can tell you what particular things he's done, but he's, if you like, the incarnation of what I'd like ideally uh, to have been able to do as a young man, hardly middle-aged, maybe in his 50s, early 50s. But to have that opportunity to be, as with any theatrical event, that the writing is so good and available to be the instrument to deliver it gives you a sense of enormous satisfaction, feeling of usefulness, and uh, it builds the ego, let me tell you. Oh, to get your hands or your voice around some of the greatest writing of all time is uh, is an honor. And it, I'm still, I get chills now thinking about some of the, the good stuff I've uh, I've had the opportunity to do. Talk a bit about um, 
Any any projects coming up? I know I just visited your website, wallopinwebsnappers.com, which is great. It really gives a good history of this show. And you're, you, you doing the narration of it is awesome, too. Well, that is much largely due to uh, Jonathan's um, efforts. Your, your son, yeah. In the early 2000s uh, that it got done at all. And um, he continues to want to perpetuate the music tracks. Oh, yeah, they're, they're awesome. Well, we'll see if anything comes of that. But he's been uh, wonderfully interest, interested and creative, and I hope uh, his ideas come to uh, a little greater progression. Any comic book conventions or any uh, jobs coming up in the future that we need to look for you? I don't know. I mean, that will depend on the, I'm at the point where my mother was, God love her. <clears throat> Most of her time was spent going to doctors. Mm-hmm. at my age you know things don't last forever you'd like to think they do but they don't well i think the so, show proves that this is going to last forever your your well, work that's fine is but living I, on forever in terms of the yes. future uh there there was talk of going to uh, a comic-con in uh, connecticut in august uh i don't know about that yet it depends as they say on the doctors um uh, also i did the second season of a show called my 90-year-old roommate, this is done entirely for the web. Oh, the yeah. Second season is done. We'll be airing at the end of uh, April, May. Don't know about a third season yet. I'll have to watch that. I haven't heard of that. That sounds cool. Well, it's at the moment, it's CBC that is uh, financed and is releasing it. But uh, it's a cute premise created by a young man who is the who I play is his 90-year-old roommate. He moves in with me. It's an interesting, odd couple, sort of. Um, yeah. Boring, uh, and a little bit uh, tart, a little bit uh, salty language, uh, more than I was ever used to. But I, I would like to hear the voice of Spider-Man cuss. I think that would yeah. be fun. <laughs> it's, it's a lot like the character I'm playing is a lot like what Larry David would do. Hmm. So it's there that kind go. of uh, dynamic. Paul, Listen, Jonathan, thank you so much for taking the time. I'm really honored by by talking to you too. Thank you for the invitation. This is, uh, it is fun to reminisce uh, good times. You bet. No doubt. And if you ever get in the Midwest near Missouri in the United States, I hope to meet you in person. I look forward to it. All right. Okay. I think we're done. Jonathan, uh, thank you also uh, for making this happen. I was a little worried yesterday that uh, it wouldn't happen. So there you are. There's a son. Thank you, Jonathan. uh, He kept it afloat, my boy. I'm, I'm not, uh, you know, au courant with the current technology. But he is. Some, sometimes he is with the internet, a duct tape and a prayer will work, you know? <laughs> well, he did. More than that. <laughs> All right, gentlemen, I will let enjoy the rest of your Saturday. Paul and Jonathan, thank you so much. Gentlemen. Thanks for the invitation. Thanks, Brad. Thank you, guys. Well, bye bye. Well, sir, someday I'd like to be a, a dentist. A dentist? Well, we need one up here. I've been studying its fascinating. You've no idea. Molars and bicuspids and incisors. Now, listen, you. You're an elf. 
and elves make toys. Now, get to work! Walloping web snappers. What was that? If I can only get unstuck, I'll be swinging at one of my most fearsome foes next week. <laughs>